Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come this morning, we bow humbly before your throne of grace. And Lord, just ask this one simple request. Lord, show us the magnitude of your grace. Let us see the true value of your mercy. Oh, that we might live all the more to glorify your name. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We are celebrating the Reformation as we come upon the 500 year anniversary of the day when Martin Luther tacked his 95 thesis upon the church door there at, at uh, Wittenberg and starting the Protestant Reformation. And so we celebrate some of those hallmarks that came out of the Reformation, not just the Reformation itself, but those truths that were highlighted in the Reformation, truths that we too should always stand firm upon and always exalt as necessary and true doctrine within the church. Today we look at sola gratia, sola gratia, which is, of course, Latin for grace alone, grace alone, salvation is by grace alone. If you found your place there in Ephesians, stand with me if you will in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of His holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may He write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So we are making our way through the five solas of the Reformation. Last week we looked at solas, or excuse me, two weeks ago. Last week Jason was here, priest, but a week before that uh, we looked at sola scriptura, sola scriptura, which is scripture alone. As the uh, Roman Catholic Church, they depend upon they say that Scripture plus tradition plus the magisterium is authoritative over life and doctrine, but the Reformers said no, it is Scripture alone that is authoritative over life and doctrine. And today we come to sola gratia, sola gratia, grace alone. The Roman Catholic Church of the Reformers' Day and still today, believe that salvation is a mixture of things. It comes by a mixture of things. It is by God's grace plus the merits accumulated through penance and good works plus the excess merits accumulated by the saints. That is, they hold to this doctrine that there is a treasury of merit out there uh, created by the excess merit of Christ when he is here along with Mary along with the other saints such as the apostles and all those other saints that they have named throughout the ages and so salvation comes by God's grace plus a person's individual works plus the works gathered together in that treasury of merit. And so they don't hold to grace alone. It's grace plus works. But the reformers say, no, it's not grace plus works, whether ours or someone else's, but salvation is by grace alone. Salvation is accomplished by God's grace and by God's grace alone. Say that again. Salvation is accomplished by God's grace and by God's grace alone. And we see that in our passage today. You know, when we went to Boston here this past summer, we met a name by the name of Kevin. Uh, Kevin was quite an eccentric character, and uh, we, we kind of liked Kevin. Kevin was a, a good fella. He came up, and he began to talk with us and carry on with us as, as he met us, and we told him where we were from, and oh, he was excited about us being there, and he was a nice fella. The question was asked to Kevin, Kevin, do you believe in heaven? Oh yeah, I believe in heaven. Well, Kevin, if you were to die today, 
Do you think you would go to heaven? Kevin responded to that question. He said, well, you know, I, I think the gates might open slowly, but, but yeah, I think they would open to me. You know, see, I'm, a, I'm a, a basically a good person. You know, I, I take care of my mother. I, 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 I'm nice to people. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm, I'm a fairly good fella. So yeah, I think I'll end up in heaven. And you see, that is the view of most people. You go, go out even in the streets of Bastrop and you begin to ask people, do you think you're going to go to heaven? Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? And many times you will get that same answer because, well, I'm basically a good person. And that's the basic idea of all mankind. People believe themselves, believe the human race, in fact, to be basically good. In fact, there are many supposed evangelicals who would say this very same thing. They would say, well, we're basically good. We just need a little help from God. But Scripture tells a different story. A drastically different story. In fact, what we see in our passage here today is by our nature... We are all spiritually dead. We are spiritually dead. There is no goodness in us apart from God. We are absolutely, positively bankrupt before God. That's what Paul says here in this passage. He's, he's talking to Christian believers, those believers in the church of Ephesus. And he says to them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now notice there, he doesn't say you were just simply drowning in a sea of sin, barely hanging on. What Paul says is, Dear friend, you were dead. You were at the bottom of the ocean of sin. Dead, no life in you at all. You weren't treading water. You were dead. And dear friend, that is our spiritual condition outside of Christ. We are absolutely dead. No life. Paul says again in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. You see that? In our natural condition, we do not seek God. We don't go chasing after God. We don't go trying to find God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not 
even one. So dear friend, let me tell you, if you're struggling with this today, if you think you're going to go to heaven because you're basically good, you're not. You are dead in sin. There is no goodness in you outside of Jesus Christ. We are spiritually dead. And he goes on to explain that a little bit more to work it out. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, who is the prince of the power of the air? Simply, that is Satan. It is the devil. He is the ruler of this age, of this world system in which we live in. Jesus, in John chapter 8, is talking to some people there who... They're there listening to his teaching, but they're arguing with him. They don't believe in him. And they say to Jesus, we follow our Father, even God. And Jesus says, no, you follow your Father, the devil. And outside of Jesus Christ, that's who we follow. We may not say that's who we follow. We may not think that's who we follow. But we follow the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Outside of Christ, that's our path. He is our prince. And we gladly follow after him because he promises to give us the desires of our flesh. In fact, that's what, Jesus, uh, that's what Paul gets into in verse 3. You're following the, the prince of the power of the air, spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Paul throws himself right into the mix. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and of the mind. Now, that word there for passions, it means to be, and it's an inordinate, self-indulgent craving that displaces a proper affection away from God. An inordinate, self-indulgent craving that displaces proper affections from God. See, that's where we live. We live hungering to satisfy self, to feed selfish desires and passions. And not only did we desire such things, but we carried the desires out in the body. The word for desires there has to do with the will. The will. The will wants to follow the desires of the flesh, the passions of the flesh. We often talk about free will. Oh no, pastor, I got free will. I have the freedom to choose to follow God or not to follow God. And we put that in context of being even outside of Christ. 
Many do. But you see, what Paul says is that the will is enslaved to fleshly desires. Now, we need to understand, yes, when we talk about free will, yes, we have free will. But we need to define what free will means. Free will means we have the ability to do exactly what we desire to do, what we most desire to do. But you see, Scripture tells us that desire is enslaved to sin. So outside of Christ, we are free to do what we most desire to do, and that is to follow the desires of the flesh and to chase after the prince of the power of the air. Our free will, if you will, is enslaved to sin outside of Jesus Christ. Because we are spiritually dead, because we are enslaved to those base desires, those sinful desires of the flesh, Paul says we were by our very nature children of wrath. We're children of wrath. Children of God's just wrath. In our sin, that's what we deserve. In our sin, we deserve the full measure of God's wrath being poured out upon us for our disobedience and our rebellion against Him. That's who we are naturally. So now you take this biblical understanding of who we are outside of Jesus Christ and you place that in a system of works and what do you get? Martin Luther felt the pressure. He felt the pressure of this, of being a man who was a a child of God's wrath, yet in a system of a workspace salvation. And before he came to know that salvation was by God's grace alone, through faith alone, someone once asked him, Luther, don't you love God? Luther said, love God? Sometimes I hate God. You see, uh, Luther understood this. And as as hard as he tried to, to live and to work to earn salvation, he began to realize more and more how he was a child of God's wrath. Luther, when he became a monk... He was a monk amongst monks. In fact, he says that, he says this, I was a good monk, and I kept the rules of my order so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got into heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me well will bear, bear me out. If I had kept on any longer I should have killed myself with vigils prayers reading and other works 
See, they had a practice in the monastery where Luther lived of regular confession. And so every day they would go in and they would have confession with their superior, whomever that may be. And many of the monks, they would go in and, uh, yeah, they would kind of, well, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I coveted Brother John's chicken this morning at lunch, and, and I sinned. All right, well, say some Hail Marys, and you'll, you're forgiven, my son. You see, Luther, he studied law before he came to the monastery, and he had a brilliant mind. In fact, he was a genius in the law. And he understood that one tiny infraction of God's law was damnable. And so Luther, when he would go in for his confession, he would start pouring out every sin that he could possibly think of. And sometimes his confessions went on for an hour, sometimes for two hours, at times even six hours, confessing sin after sin after sin. And even after he finished and he would go away, sometimes even as he was walking away, he would think of another sin or a bad thought would come across his mind and he would have to run back to the confessional, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. It drove his superiors nuts. But see, Luther understood this. He understood that if salvation is based upon works we are ultimately just children of God's wrath. By nature, friends, we are spiritually dead to God. We are children of God's just and righteous wrath. But then as we continue on in the passage, we come to this beautiful phrase that changes everything but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Praise God. We don't have to remain as children of wrath because of God's grace. It is by God's grace we are made alive. By God's grace we are made alive. You see, it's God who takes the action. It's not me. It's not you. It is God who takes the action. He comes to do when we are unable to do. But God made us Alive together with Christ. We were dead, and God breathed life into our lungs so that we might be saved. John 3 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus says it like this Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless God 
gives him life, he cannot even see the kingdom. He can't see it. John chapter 6, verse uh, 65, Jesus says again, no one can. It's not possible to come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see what he's saying? It is God who makes it possible. The Father who makes it possible. You can't come to me unless the Father makes you alive, gives you life, breathes into your spiritually dead body, spiritual life, so that you can see Jesus and come to Christ in faith. It is God who takes the action and notice the basis of this giving of life. It is not in anything that is within us. No, not anything in us. But it is by God's grace alone. Notice what he says there. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead, even when we were worthless, even when we had no value in us whatsoever, God in His mercy and His grace, His loving grace, put His grace upon us and gave us life. It's completely based upon God's unmerited favor that He gives life to those in Christ. And all of this is for His glory. Verse 7, so that for this reason, this is why He gives us life. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Oh, the wonder, splendor of God's unmerited grace. We were dead, unable. To even see God. Unable to see the value and the glory of Jesus and God in His mercy and grace gave us life. He goes on to explain it even further in case it's not clear enough. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Dear friend, for by grace alone we are saved. It's by God's grace alone. 
by God's grace through faith. And notice that that grace through faith is not our own doing. He says it plainly. It's not your own doing. Right? There's nothing that we do to get that grace. There's no action that we take. There's no meritorious work to be done. It is a free gift of God. He says, here it is. Here it is. It's yours. We have no right to boast before God. We have no right to come to Him and say, Oh, Lord, look at me. Look what I have done. No. We have no right to boast before God. This takes away all boasting. You see, those, those systems of works puts boasting back into the mix, doesn't it? I mean, even if you say, well, I'm saved by grace, but i got to work to keep it, that has grounds for boasting. Well, thank you, Lord, for your grace, but then look how well I kept your grace. Look how well I continue to work. But Paul says, no! We have no right to boast before God. It is not in us to save ourselves whatsoever. It is all His work. It's by His grace and His grace alone. Salvation from beginning to end is God's work. Even in sanctification, we see that even the works that we do, this side of faith, it's all a part of God's creation. It's part of His workmanship for We are His workmanship created, right? He's recreated us in Christ Jesus for good works. He works in us so that we might be like Christ. Even sanctification is not your work. It's not my work. It's God's work. He invites us to come along, but it's His work. It's His work. He is recreating us. He is making us like Jesus. We cannot boast before God. We cannot boast before Him. All sense of boasting is gone. And all the glory goes to God. We owe Him every ounce glory Martin Luther burdened by the weight of sin he longed to have peace with God he longed for peace with God but he knew not how to live up to the justice of God how can one How can one achieve, accomplish the righteousness, the pure righteousness of God? But then one night, as he pondered Romans chapter 1, verse 17, the righteous shall live by faith. 
the light of God's grace shined upon him. He says, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on new meaning. And whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet and greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gate of heaven. And that's what happens when we finally realize that there is no work that we can do to ever make us right before God. We are spiritually dead before God outside of Jesus Christ. But when God's grace comes and makes us alive, then we are saved then we may see Jesus. Then we may know His salvation. Dear friend, the only method of salvation is in God's grace and God's grace alone. Oh, that wonderful hymn. Oh, amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found, was blind. But now I see. Praise God for His amazing grace. Salvation is accomplished by God's grace and by God's grace alone. Dear friend, there are some here today You have been living under the assumption that there's something you can do. Right? There's something I can do to get me there. If I can just do enough, God will find favor in me. If friend, you are dead. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And only the grace of God can save you. Today, Quit working. Quit striving. 
and fall down at the throne of God's grace and receive the salvation in Jesus Christ that He offers you. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. If it were not for Your grace, oh God, we, every one of us, would be forever lost. But it was You, Father, who took the initiative. It is You who set Your plan of redemption in place. You sent Your Son Jesus to come and die for us so that we might have life in Him. And it is You, Father God, who gives us life so that we might be saved. Oh Lord, for those of us in Christ, we praise You. May Your amazing grace lead to us exalting You, bursting out in absolute praise to Your holy, glorious name. For those here today who are struggling, hoping to somehow win Your favor through works, oh Lord, let them see the vanity of their striving. Let your grace fall upon them. And let them know the joy of your salvation today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.